Hello, survivors. You're listening to Brian Hazard, your ever-eager explorer of all games narrative. It's a new year and a new season of InstaDeath Survivors Support Group. Today, I'm so pleased to be welcoming one of my favorite gamebook community members and authors to the show. He's an author and educator based in London and the creator of the sprawling open-world series of gamebooks, Steam Highwayman. And maybe even the nicest guy in game books. If the pub scenes in his books are any indication, he's also quite the beer connoisseur. And I couldn't be more pleased to finally have the one and only Martin Nouch on the show. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Brian. And thank you for those kind words, but controversial ones. You might upset many other very nice people. I can hear James Shanip already sharpening his knives. Such a nice man, but so very vindictive. Yes, yes, indeed. James, you have to look out for that one. (laughs) Well, before we get to your book series, I kind of want to hear a little bit about the young Martin. We're going all the way back, folks. (laughs) I'm curious, as as a kid, were you a a writer, a voracious reader, a gamer? I've, I've always wanted to be a writer, really. I learned to read very young at home before I went to school and was just lived in a very literature-rich household, a large family, and read a lot. And we would always be coming up with stories and things at home. We have family jokes about it, and we keep some of the things that were written when we were really tiny. And when I was at school, I came across game books and pretty much found the thing that excited me in terms of how stories work. I, I love historical fiction. I've always loved stories set in the past or set in other worlds. I love science fiction particularly as a teenager and in my 20s, mm-hmm. I read a huge amount of science fiction. And, and I like some fantasy a great deal. So I, I count myself a writer of speculative fiction, and I have always loved reading speculative fiction, anything with a big what if. And that was always the case from very young, anything with a bit of magic in it, either technological or fantastic. And so that, that really started, yeah, very young. Yeah. Books like, when I was really young, it, books like Rosemary Sutcliffe's The Eagle of the Ninth, which I found when I was about nine, was kind of so magical because it took me to a world that was one I knew, the north of England and Scotland, the hills and uplands, but it was also incredibly different from anything that my daily experience was. It was a world of low technology, of Roman customs, an incredibly rich world. And I think reading that, I understood that the worlds that people created were invented, they were makeable. You could make them with pieces. If you knew enough stuff... And if you put it together cleverly enough, and if you had a good story running through it, then you can make a world. And I think hers was a book that kind of taught me that really early, like I say, nine or ten. And the books that I used to read when I was little, I would would read six or seven times over and and just really imprint them in my pattern of my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, good fiction... And, and good world building can, can really transport folks to another place. Could you say the name of that book? The Eagle of the Ninth. Yeah, Rosemary Sutcliffe with two Fs and no E. I'm uh, not familiar. Oh, it's very readable even as an adult. Incredibly. She, she, was, she was a profoundly disabled lady living the 20, born in the early 20th century, little about 1990, I think. And she wrote a whole series of uh, historical novels the Eagle of the Ninth was like her first and, and, and most famous, but they're all really rich worlds. Some of them are fairly romantic, small R or capital R, lots of them about low technology societies and very interesting customs, kind of like 
I read her alongside Ursula Le Guin for, for travelling into a different world, and, and I find them quite complementary writers in their way. But she had incredible eye for detail. She was also a painter and a miniaturist. That's one of the things I found out about her, and just an incredible imagination and going into the depths of things. Although, like I say, profoundly disabled and lived much of her life in a very secluded manner. Yeah, I admire her a great mm. deal as a writer. Well, that's a bit of a random thing, yeah, to get out of me. I've never begun to waffle about my love for Rosemary Sutcliffe vis-a-vis game books before, but it's probably there. <laughs> I mean, it's this world-building thing, essentially. And one of my yeah. criticisms that I'll t- or, or, or level at myself is that sometimes I feel I'm more a world-builder than a storyteller. And if so, then, yeah, Rosemary Sutcliffe can be blamed for part of that. Well... Let me just say, you know, as, as nice a bloke as young Martin sounds, I'm very happy to have adult Martin on. I just want to share that I've been looking forward, actually, to this interview pretty much since we uh, launched this show, and for a number of reasons. You were one of the first people to welcome me into the game books community and did so with kindness. So I think in addition to a world builder, you're, you're a bit of a community builder. That's kind of you to say, Brian. I'm sure listeners will agree with this. We need something like this and somebody who's willing to put the time in and approach game books and the game book community in a different way is really needed. Quite a lot of people will agree that game books have got a tendency to be very backward looking and the community can end up like that sometimes as well. So the Instadeath Survivors Support Group podcast, I mean, it's fantastic because it's new and, and you're fantastic because you're bringing a different set of ideas as a relatively new reader of game books i mean you've said before this is only a year or two old this hobby for you and so you're not really comparing mm-hmm. to the past like so many even myself and i'm 10 years younger than a lot of the the independent writers you're not comparing to the past and i think yep. that's really important for those of us who want to make this thing grow and blossom and and, and make careers out of our own writing. I wholeheartedly agree with every statement you just made. If people are finding this too sickening, maybe they can just tune out now and, and jump to a, a point where we've just stopped patting each other on the back and they, they hear about the yeah, details. Yeah, exactly. But it's actually a good point and something I hadn't thought about is that, you know, I do I do prefer generally to to highlight the, the active, independent authors that are, are working in this space. Some of the most classic game books i still haven't read yet hmm. um just you know putting that out there I'm, I'm losing my street cred right now but some of the most classic game books i still haven't read yet you know i've, I've enjoyed many of the the first lone wolf books I, I think i've read through book six and i've enjoyed fabled lands which i have a feeling you have some affinity for no i don't like it at all yeah okay fair enough it's all the problems with fabled lands that made me write steam home we'll get onto that later jamie thompson had some unkind things to say about you know i'm just kidding he, he threatened to imprison me in his cellar and he still has to learn yeah. how to pronounce my name well, which you did pretty well at the beginning of this he calls me nooch normally. oh yeah so pretty well so not perfectly no, nouch to run without i was just worried when you began talking, I thought, oh gosh, I haven't Not covered that. Without, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually, so I think, so we had a, a call last year, gosh, it's been forever, where we were just, you gave me sort of a, a high level introduction to the Steam Highway Men books. And, and I called you Martin Nooch on that call. I'm, I eat a lot of vegetarian, and so I eat nutritional yeast. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Us, us hippies call it Nooch, so it was a familiar syllable. I do not endorse such a food stuff. I mean, actually, you know, I mean, yeast-based <laughs> products, Marmite, yes, beer, yes, but nutritional yeast, no. Yeah, it's basically non-alcoholic edible beer. Hmm, it sounds delicious. <laughs> You've taken away some of the crucial, <laughs> some of the crucial 
parts of what make beer good there, Brian. Yeah, and we'll get to the beer. Maybe at some point we'll even talk about Steam Highwayman. <laughs> Let's go there now. So you released the first Steam Highwayman in 2017. That's uh, right. I was curious, like before that, what experience with writing did you have? Uh, well, pretty much an unending stream of wildly different styles of writing anything and everything since I was about seven. So, you know, you could go back. 25 years and pick up something which I've still got on my shelf. I wrote simple choose an adventure style game books, although with some, my very first game book had, uh, had some logic within it from the age of nine or 10. I always tried writing more and more complicated game books inspired by Fabled Lands chiefly from about then on. So I've got drafts and drafts of, of different unsuccessful things I never finished through my teens and twenties. Similarly with drafts of novels, I've written some plays, some which have been performed when I was at university or in church. I write quite a lot of material for church. I write things for school. I've written through my, I wrote through my 20s school plays and short stories, even writing for newsletters, church newsletters, group newsletters, things like that. So I guess I've built up quite a broad portfolio of diff different writings and different writing styles. And particularly as a teacher, I've had to learn to be very productive with a short amount of time and that my first draft has got to be a good draft. I don't do, go in for a lot of editing. In, with mm -hmm. Steam Hyman, I spend much longer checking the logic and checking the, the quests, although it may not look like it to somebody who spots all the errors, sorry, Adriano, <laughs> than I do checking my language. And that's mm -hmm. because as a teacher for almost 15 years now, I've had to just be very good at making sure that what I showed children was 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 clean of good standard so yeah I've, I've always written and i've written a wide variety of things in about 2016 i cut a deal with my wife that she would work full-time for a bit and i would not work full-time for a bit uh, and in fact didn't work at all on on paid well i i was tutoring independently so on a self-employed sort of evening rate things like that but i spent days working to try and complete a project at that stage i started off working on and, and i just needed to choose something i felt several years beforehand working with a novel which i thought well maybe this will be the chance to finish the novel and it's a good thing for all of you guys that that didn't work otherwise i would be on some podcast talking to someone about cyberpunk novels but here i am talking about a game book series so what ended up working is i i said well here's a manageable scheme novels don't seem manageable they, they can be as long as you want they can include anything you like they can be different styles and this one i'd worked on for nearly 10 years you know was was getting too difficult i was too invested in it so i said what about i make a scheme whereby i write a fabled lands knockoff if i go that's my end goal if it's as good as fabled lands and it's as long as fabled lands then i succeed and as a younger writer i would mm -hmm. have never been able to say that i wouldn't have been happy with that idea of 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 taking someone else's work as a benchmark. I, I was far too idealistic, but I thought, I really enjoy these. I've always enjoyed these. I've enjoyed these ever since I came across them, and I've loved writing them. But instead of trying to do something massively different, I'll do something absurdly similar, and then see if I can mm -hmm. work from there and, and make my own thing. So I, I planned, well, they only ever did six. So if I planned six, and if I aim to have a similar length, and if a similar size, and then it took me about... 18 months to really know what I was doing. I planning it partly using Twine, an online software 
for a branching narrative, which is freely available. If people don't know about Twine, T-W-I-N-E, then they really need to get into that. But that quickly, once I started learning some of the features of it, I, I got a serious feature bloat in my writing uh, because it was able to do too much. So I thought, well, I'll go back to paper. And if I can do this, I thought I will kickstart it because I was active on Kickstarter in the board game community, having had board mm-hmm. game designing plans before in the past. And I thought, well, I can use that model. And it was just after that, or just about the same time, that Paul Gresty funded the, the Serpent King's Domain, Fabled Land 7. And that mm-hmm. was kind of the starting gun. And I thought, yeah, great, this is a going deal. If he can do that, all I need is for a third of those people to buy my book. And if it's a mm-hmm. patent, Fabled Land's knockoff or close. I mean, it wasn't quite my feeling. If it's similar enough, then there'll be enough audience overlap and I can, I can poach those people. So I kind of wrote myself a target. I was very tactical about it. What do I need? And then kickstarted it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I could talk a long time about that project, but that was how I got to, yeah, yeah book one in 2017. That's very cool. So really, really smart sort of market timing. I'm curious how, how successful, I, I didn't look back at that mm. project. How successful was that first project on Kickstarter? Well, it was very successful really because it's it snowboard. I only raised mm-hmm. about 4,800 GB pounds, mm-hmm. but my minimum success bid was just 2,000 pounds, at which I thought if mm-hmm. I get 100 backers putting in 20 pounds for a copy each, then this thing is doable. Uh, and of mm-hmm. course, it, it doubled that in a bit more, and the margin is enough for me to do some really good art with my illustrator. And there was no, nothing left over to pay myself or anything like that. But I could see that there was going to be a market and that I could keep doing this and that mm-hmm. I was enjoying that process. So there was a success in lots of other ways that wasn't at all about financial. Yeah. So you used those those funds to fund the betterment of the product and also as as sort of a market validation step. Yes, absolutely. Nice. So speaking of fabled lands, you know, I think it's it's true that creatives, you know, find really fertile ground in constraints. And it sounds like what you did is you used Mm. fabled lands as sort of a set of constraints. I want it to be like this, right, in terms of structure. But beyond that high level structure, there are there are several innovations in steam highwayman and i was i was thinking we could talk about some of those mechanical innovations before i go into kind of some of my favorites i'm curious if you have any favorites you wanted to mention yeah i mean it's a funny one really because in book one i didn't innovate too much i felt i innovated to follow my theme for me all writing Mm -hmm. that the form has to serve the theme so again going back to board games which i've played many and designed some I, I find it very frustrating when a mechanic doesn't suit um, the theme of a game. And similarly in Steam Hyman, if there's something that you have to do that doesn't actually make the world seem richer, then then it hurts me. I, I don't mm-hmm. like abstract tally points. So the character sheet was, was going to be quickly becoming richer or, or fatter or more detailed. Things like having extra tags or things. The wounds and scars thing came on quite nicely. I'm a dreadful cheat mm-hmm. when it comes to game books. I don't like dying, and I don't like not knowing mm-hmm. what the other option was. So I use the full 10-finger bookmark and any scraps of paper. And so if I'm reading your book, I mean, I've done this for all the recent ones I've, I've read. It's as I disassemble them, and that's how I enjoy reading a game book. I want to see what someone's done and what the options are oh, and, cool. and what were the road untraveled. Now, Steam Hyman is kind of written like that in that it's actually very hard to die. They are very hard books. That comes across very quickly. People, another criticism, 
Um, but it's actually very hard to die. You can be poor and you can get hanged, but you can often escape the gallows. You can you can find someone to get you back on your feet. And it was written to be like that. So the wounds and scars thing was meant to be that I didn't like how easy it is to die in many game books. That if you lose one sword fight through a combination of bad dice rolls, that's just it. The whole thing's over. And Fable Lands, of course, is completely like that, but they have their resurrection deals. Now, thematically, resurrection deals mm-hmm. don't work in my world. So what could I have? So yeah. there was this wounds and scars thing which I came up with. I thought, well, what if there's a count of how many wounds you've you've had over your lifetime can be kind of your health meter. So then it kind of made sense that there should be this this shuffling across of once a, a wound has been healed, that there's actually some record of it still. So it just goes into a tally point of how many scars you've got. And I once had a chat with Dave Morris about it, and immediately when he saw that, he he was kind of smack his forehead and saying, why didn't we ever think of that? And that's come out recently. He's, <laughs> he's borrowed that for Vulcanverse, but adapted it. Uh, and that's very pleasing mm-hmm. to have, you know, one of my mechanics go back yeah. to the Fabled Lands team. The other one that I definitely needed to change is this horrible mechanic that people have. You go to a tavern, you know what I'm going to say, you go to a tavern, you pay one gold coin, and you get served a glass of beer. Like, what's that about? What's it is so utterly frustrating as a writer who loves food, but also as a writer of worlds. I mean, is the best they can do beer? I mean, you know, people have these swords of fury with a handle, you know, with a hilt made of a dragon's tooth and a pommel stone, blah, 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 blah. And yet they go down the pub, which is unnamed, and they drink a glass of beer. It's so frustrating. The other big mechanic I'm very proud of is that every beer has got a name, <laughs> an alcohol by volume. It's got tasting notes because... That's just something that's worth celebrating. It, it, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest beer freak, but Steam Hartman has allowed me to indulge it, really. I do have to do a bit of research. And it's quite hard to find, you know, a really good mm-hmm. range of, of beers. So try and make sure that within a book there's, you know, plenty of different palettes represented. But not, not IP. I mean, there's IPAs in a few of them, but I've really got turned off by IPAs in the last two years. So if IPAs exist now, they're in a bad pub and you'll probably get murdered for drinking there. Little rant there. I think that uh, twenty one or sorry, twenty twenty one and twenty sorry, twenty twenty and twenty twenty one have taught me that friendships are overrated. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but yeah, I think that Steam Highwaymen is is ideally structured for a sort of uh, fictional world pub crawl. Yeah, absolutely. It's not even really a fictional world, right? It's an alternative real world. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It's allo-historical. It's meant to be a what-if world, not an impossible world. People do message me and say, are these pubs real? Yes, they are. And when I did the touring guide, as an add-on to the third Kickstarter. You know, the the pubs that are named in there, some of them have got changed names, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them haven't. You can find those places, particularly in London. And one day, I know it will happen, someone else, I'll let a fan do it at that point when I'm really famous and there's a big community someone will say oh we're going to go on the steam home and pub crawl that's been happening for the last 10 years should we invite the author this time and then i'll realize it's been going on for (laughs) 10 years already without me i'd like to challenge someone who has better access to england or maybe one day we need somebody to do a series where they actually physically travel england and you know do sort of the stops in Steam Highway, man. You won't be able to drive your own bike, though. That's the issue with it. That's the other nice thing about this being yeah. a, a what-if world. There's so little traffic. I mean, mm-hmm. I, do, I don't endorse drinking and riding <laughs> yeah. in any way, but <laughs> in my world, there's so little traffic, it doesn't matter if you've had, you know, eight drinks down the cross keys and then you get aboard the Ferguson Vela Steam 
I mean, you do live dangerously as steam home, and so a little bit of alcohol in the bloodstream. Oh dear, I'm starting to say some things that will come back to haunt me. Yeah, exactly. So, Martin, this this is your your way overpriced Kickstarter add-on for next time is like a limousine tour of England with the author of Steam Highway Man, where you you read the passages at each pub or something. <laughs> I thought hard about that. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, some of my favorite uh, mechanics include the character creation process. It's very straightforward, and you know, it's funny when I when I picked up the book, my first reaction was like. Well, how, wh- where's the character creation? <laughs> like, how do I start playing? <laughs> you know, then I realized you just start playing, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, you know, it's your first, your first choices that determine your character background and your, your character stats and your motivations and, and your possessions and those sorts of things that you start with. And so it's really a seamless way to, to jump right in. And so once you, once you know that, if you feel like starting a fresh campaign, you can you can simply pick up the book and start playing and you don't you don't have to think about it, you know. Whereas when I start playing many game books that aren't aren't like pure choice game book, I have to, you know, reread the rules to remember how to build out my my character sheet and, you know, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And here I could just start playing and then when I get to a combat scene, for example, then I can go, oh, yeah, what were the combat rules again? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I think that probably reflects my reading style. Mm-hmm. Although there's quite a lot of mechanics within there, I prefer something which is seamless, which allows you to to, to, mm-hmm. to go into the narrative. I mean, what I said about world building before, particularly the first one, it was designed to have six starting possibilities, to be honest, and then it four was what was doable at that point, what I could sustain. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I feel very happy with, with the way that's worked. Other people have liked that. Mm. I won't name drop here. Yeah. Other people have liked that one that, that really put a smile on my face. But it, it does make me think about carrying on or doing other pieces of work, other game book styles. There is a nice thing about about that stat, stat leverage moment where you get 20 points and how are you going to spread them out, you know, and mm-hmm. that real RPG thing that I've kind of sidestepped there. But instead you get it when you level up and you think, where shall I put this point or whatever? At some point, I'll play with that differently. Right. Uh, but I agree, within, within Steam Hyman, it's, it's meant to be seamless. And then your stats, of course, match something of your past history. Although mm-hmm. that does get picked up later, I'm very proud of the fact that that's largely something in the reader's mind. And I've uh, found this amongst my readers. They'll say, oh, I'm playing as the orphan. And I'm sitting back going, well, the orphan doesn't you know, have a great deal of specific stuff. But someone will say, oh, I'm playing as the... Uh, dispossessed air and i think well it's really worked it's gone into the mind the dispossessed air is always very popular i like playing as the industrial work hands normally the the poorest of the working class who's kind of grinding their way upwards although i you know i wrote the dispossessed air and and there's aspects of both of them throughout all of the books and i just shamelessly rip off different narratives to to fill up a book like this so you know dispossessed air and, and people like that. It's always it's old films like Scaramouche and Errol Flynn movies with people dueling and sort of, and Barrel, Basil Rathbone as as a as an enemy to run through with your rapier. And then the other end, you kind of get something more realist, uh, the card of the child of the Jago or something in book three, where you know the working poor are really poor. Which genuinely, I've, you know, the more I've learnt about Victorian London and and industrial history, the the realer it comes to me. And as a parent now as well which I wasn't when I wrote book one. As a parent, I find 
I find all sorts of impulses for writing. Maybe you reflect on this as well, Brian, but, you know, once, once you've had small children, once you're caring for small children, it changes the way you think about characters and you think about the world, and particularly children in stories. But, but everybody mm-hmm. is a child of somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really rattling on here, sorry. Don't know where, where you, no, you no, asked me a question. No, you were saying about things you liked. So go on, you can stroke my ego a bit more. Yeah, let me tell you some more things I liked. I've got a long list here as I un- unravel the scroll. <laughs> no, so another thing I really liked, and it's a simple one, but I haven't seen it done elsewhere. Of course, I haven't read uh, all the game bo- books in the in the universe, but is Noted Passages. Ooh. Um, but what I like about how, what you did with Noted Passages that's really cool is is... It allows you to create sub routines, if you will, yeah. in the if you think about this as programming that are that are actually modular and reusable. It came about after Fighting Fantasy Fest two. It was a talk by Steve Jackson where he was talking about the secret and hidden passages, and and I think I was a little bit later when I was working on book two on Highways and Holloways. I was thinking about having hidden passages, but also one of the things I was frustrated about in book one. So I hadn't managed to have as much robbery as I wanted. They were kind of stuck in mm-hmm. certain locations you had to visit, very much like old fabled lands. But I had been still tinkering with twine, and I'd begun to learn how to use passages and sections of passages in twine, exactly like you say, as subroutines. So it, I would have code in there which would say, once you reach this location, if you meet what's it called, thingy A, then head over to this section, you'll play through, and then it'll post you back. I've played with different ways of doing it for quite a long time, but when I thought, well, the simplest thing is to note a simple passage to predict where you're going to end up, and you could use filters later on, so some of these subroutines will spit you out at one place. It has to be fairly clever, because if the subroutine... So, so if people don't haven't played them, the essential one where I use it mostly in book two, but it comes into play a lot more later, is ambushes, because there's a whole engine of who you might meet and what the likelihood is and whether you've met them before that's independent of where you meet them. So I should have said this much more than the beer or the scars, shouldn't I have been proud of inventing? But I'm not sure if I have fully invented it. It feels like things that I've I put together from pre-existing parts. But I know that then the idea that you have to write it in a fairly neutral way because this event can't be too located in location A or location B. It has to be located in a kind of abstract area. And then, but it still has to feel like Steam Home and it can't just be happening in the ether and then when you end mm. if you end at a generic outcome like for example you fall off your velosteam and you crash then the outcome has to work that it sends you back more or less to where you were so in book two that worked yeah. by once you'd finished your ambush you had an option of where to ride away next and the the excuse was that the constables were likely to be on your trail even if they weren't so it felt thematic. You see, that's where, on where the mechanic has to fit the theme. The only reason you leave is that the constables are probably coming after you. Yeah, it's really cool. And and, and the other thing that uh, sort of reusability is, I think, when people hear reusability, they might think, oh, well, that's lazy. You just you have to write less now. But I actually look at it another way, which is that it it creates an opportunity for emergent narrative, right? Like rather than it's not necessarily the story you wrote, right? Mm, it's mm. like now there's this this chance for for something that can only happen as a result of what a player chooses to yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm fascinated like, by emergent narrative. Yeah, Fabled Lands did that incredibly well mm-hmm. because the, the strings are so fine and so thin. It's really within the reader's mm-hmm. mind to put together what's happening. And Steam Hyman is a halfway between that and halfway between a stronger narrative. 
There's a YouTuber I've really enjoyed watching over the years called Many mm-hmm. a True Nerd, a guy called John something. And he has playthroughs of massive strategy games like uh, Total War, the Total War franchises. And what he does in those is, mm-hmm. is he, because he's a history geek, plays the strategy game at his level, which is hilariously bad sometimes and very canny other times. But he he invests the the characters that the the generals of uh, Total War, War Rome and things like that with personalities which really emerge from the stories. I mean, those big strategy games are really like that because the you know it's got that semi RPG quality to some of them as well. But he's a great storyteller in his own right for that, and that's one of the things that really made me think about emergent narrative and how they come out of it. There there is a lot of time saving as well because if I write a section of passages all from one ambush and a playthrough only sees you hit three of them. That is frustrating as a writer for people not to be able to experience the rest. So by sending them back to it a second time, they always choose something different, unless they're a kind of moral... Yeah, unless they've got a moral ruler up their back, a bit like I have. I did a couple of different playthroughs, and based on the choices I made, to your point about, you know, it's it's all in the character's mind, based on the choices I made in the beginning about my character's background and and sort of what what you added to it as well as I as I read sort of the results of those choices. Now, I did actually make different different selections when I when I came up upon different things. I was like, well, in this case, you know, yeah, I'm I'm motivated by sort of, you know, down with the man kind of mentality, so I'm going to do good. this, you know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I hope would happen yeah. really in some of those. It depends how how mm-hmm. much you invest yourself in the character and it's it's harder in a longer playthrough like Steam Hyman, which has to be episodic. I mean, people don't play it in the one sitting. They they play it for an hour, then life interrupts and they come back and pick it up. And I know, I know people who've played right. it, you know, for a year at a time when they can grab a, a moment in the evening. And when I play it at extended ways, I, I can sometimes struggle to remember exactly who I am. So I look back at my past choices and think, <laughs> oh yeah. okay. Or, or I notice I've got some crucial items, which to me as a writer tell me, oh, the only way I've got this is by doing that. So yes, I did kill him and I never saved her. Yeah, you know, that's funny. So I guess I I should remind listeners what an excellent host I am before I say we're about thirty eight minutes in, and uh, we haven't really told people what Steam Highwayman is. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> How about do you want to give a, a quick pitch as to what Steam Highwayman sure. is? Steam Highwayman is a steampunk adventure game book series, an open world structure. It's a series of six books, three of which are written and three of which are being planned and written, in which you, the Steam Highwayman, explore an adventure through an England that never was. So, who is the Steam Highwayman? You're the Steam Highwayman. Yours is the Midnight Road. Yours is the Golden Guinea. That's what I do. When I'm in person, I I have this big spiel about it then. I think it's up on one of my Kickstarters. And it is, if I cut out all reference to Fabled Lands, uh, it is an utterly unique game book structure. It's been compared to a paper version of a computer role-playing game. It, sometimes I describe it as a solo role-playing experience, but it's also clearly a game book with a lot more of a narrative structure than a solo role-playing uh, and a lot less stat handling. It's appealing to anybody who likes... Well, it, it, it appeals to the people in different ways. There's, there's game book players, classic game book players who like it, particularly if they like something which is intensive, deep, and a rich world. I find that steampunk, people with steampunk interests who've never touched a game book enjoy it. They like it for the world. They like it for 
seeing some a, a different form of of steampunk. I write a very realist steampunk. There's no uh, magic or dragons or you know fairy wing nonsense or portals or time travel. It's just what if I set it to steampunks. Steampunks read it. Um, I'm sure you all know what steampunks are. Don't make me explain that, particularly American listeners. But what else? <laughs> I, I sell it to yeah. youngsters, young people, boys and girls of 10 or 11 upwards. They read it because they are playing a game. They're in charge. They're having an imaginative adventure that's very deep and very challenging and exposes them to a rich world. And, and it's written for me myself as well, because despite what I said earlier, I, I write it not just as a project of something that's manageable. I write it to enjoy it, really. I write the, I'm writing the game book that I want to read. I guess as as each of your guests have done, there's no point, particularly nowadays, doing something independently unless it's the thing that you want to enjoy. So one of the biggest things that I want to enjoy in all, in all my writing is is I love the country that I live in. I love England. I love the countryside. I love the small towns and I love the history. So Steam Hyman is my excuse to explore that sort of through, yeah, through this character who who who's not a morally good and morally bad character. I come from Nottingham and one of my our local hero there is Robin Hood. And you can have a lot of different perspectives on a character like Robin Hood. And I like the idea of creating someone not as big historically or through culture, but somebody with that same sort of force, that same sort of power, and maybe that same sort of ability to divide people about, yeah, about their, 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 their morality. So, you know, Martin... One thing that strikes me is that there is a formula for game books. They're supposed to be fantasy. Why didn't you follow the formula, Martin? Oh, thank you. <laughs> because it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> one wizard plus one thief plus one barbarian plus one priest <laughs> going through an underground dungeon and fighting a bunch of monsters to get to the big bad. I'm just bored of that. I mean, nobody ever did it as well as Tolkien, and he did it very differently. And... Yeah. Uh, I don't like. I, I mentioned it earlier. I love. I love fantasy, but I, I've struggled to read a lot of fantasy because I struggle to find originality within it. And in game books, mm-hmm. it's a similar thing. I'm always looking for what's original, what's new, something I've not read before. I couldn't write another Fabled Lands. I mean, I could, but I don't. I don't want to. It, it would make me unhappy. Mm-hmm. It's also not really tied to what I desperately know. I mean, back to Rosemary Sutcliffe for. Alan Garner or someone like that, Elidoy. I, I know fantasy that sprung from England and Tolkien's original Lord of the Rings fantasy that everyone's been knocking off ever since is is so deeply English. And I, th- I guess not to compare too much with The Great Man, my stuff is, is born out of a smaller scale love of Middle England, of small towns, industrial landscapes, countryside. I don't think I... I mean, if I wrote something, it would be fantasy game book series it would be really cheesy there would be a wizard and a thief and because apparently that's what everybody wants i better (laughs) stop now i don't i don't i don't (laughs) i I read i read those game books for other reasons i read a lot of the ones that are currently published by independent authors by my peers but to whom i wish no at all and i know they have plenty of readership but what i take from their books is i enjoy their craft i enjoy the the their craft of choices particularly but if it's not an original world or if it's not an original character if there's not a better motivation than get rich or save your home village i don't i don't read it for the story 
I think in some ways, Tolkien landed so hard in the bath that all the water splashed out. He, he, he also went for the whole... He was the first <laughs> one to go for the superhero stakes, save the entire world at that level of, of kind of super... I think, right. I think most modern fantasy and Marvel films uh, just follow that same thing. Here's this ultimate power, you know, save the world. Again, I can't write that because, well, I think I believe different things as well to a lot of fantasy writers. I'm a religious man. I I have a deep and and absolute faith that, that overarches everything I do. So if I do write something in, in a world that uh, doesn't exist, I still want it to remain true to what I believe are the absolute truths of existence. And that mm-hmm. means something of honour and dignity for human life to begin with, for all life. And one of the things I've always struggled with in, in fantasy is is the death count. It's so easy. And and orcs. Yeah. I mean, Tolkien struggled with it as well. You can tell from within the book, not just from outside. But the death count is hard. You're creating all these characters and then you're killing them mm-hmm. and they're, they're just evil. They just are. Often, I, I think it does, yeah, it does come out of a, a, a fundamentally prejudiced position or a lazy thinking that I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody writes orcs is a racist, but it's that why do we need people to die in these kind of great big battles and things like that? Steam Hyman will kill people. Mm-hmm. It, it's technically possible to be, to, to, an innocent no-kill Steam Hyman game. But it's going to be incredibly hard because there are places where you mm-hmm. think you're going to try to keep people safe, where people will die by accident. And that's one of the things I like writing, that these, that your choices <laughs> don't actually have the consequences that you think they will, or the eyes are right to tell you they probably will. So if you're going to get involved in the murky world of, of making choices with a yeah. weapon in your hand, there's, there, you know, there's going to be carnage. To, there's going to be carnage. And you're going to be morally implicated. And how you deal with that, again, this is going back to my religious right. position, is how you deal with that as a reader or as a character is really interesting to me. Do you just walk through and slaughter everybody and go, oh, I don't care, I play game books all the time? Or does it ever touch you that you killed a man mm-hmm. who is a father and at home now has a starving son? Or does it matter to you that you killed a young man who, although he was bad in many ways and was the hope for a community where they hoped he would do something for them that would rescue them from poverty. And did you intend to have that? And had you known that, would you have killed him anyway? It's too late now, by the way, because he's dead. He's bleeding. And you've got his watch and a poultry, two guineas. You know, that's the bit where I really enjoy sticking the knife in this. Yeah, you go, oh, what was his death for? Yeah. Yeah, that's another rant. Not many people have got that out of me in these conversations, Brian. There's a certain verisimilitude of your choices. Like, you have agency, but but you can't necessarily predict the outcomes of of your choices right so i really like that yeah so i think for for listeners if you're looking for something different for from the standard fantasy fair steam highwayman is definitely a a good place to start so i'm going to i'm going to shill something and then i want you to shill something mm. simultaneously with the release of this podcast episode i've also published the first in a series of video playthroughs of Steam Highwayman over on my YouTube channel. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go right over to YouTube and search for InstaDeath Podcast. It is video, so you'll be able to see these beautiful books and my beautiful face in all of their glory. Now, if you'd rather listen to audio, 
and don't have time to invest in a hour long plus video playthrough, then just stay tuned. Starting tomorrow, I'll release the first in a series of short segments of an abbreviated version of that playthrough right here on the podcast. What, what have you achieved <laughs> as a Steam Hyman to make people want to watch those? So I was going to say that is like you say that it's it's hard to die. I did. I don't want to spoil anything, but I I did have at least one death. <laughs> um, and, you know, so some of the things that that happened with me, I got I found like a I'll call it a fight club, if you will, mm -hmm. and, and made made some cash from that, but but walked away with one too many wounds, <laughs> which got me in trouble later. I'm not even sure what you're talking about there. That's great. You've written so many passages now for Steam Highway, man. Well, I'll, I'll certainly be enjoying your playthrough. If you want to check out the playthroughs, you can do that on YouTube. Just search for InstaDeath Podcast. But I, I know that people listening to this, they're probably quite interested and intrigued if they don't already have Steam Highwayman. What's the best way for them to get their hands on it? The best way, as in the morally best way, is, is harder work than the easiest way. The easiest way is to go to Google and type okay. in the word Steam Highwayman and you'll be directed to, to Amazon where you can buy books one to three. The morally better way and the harder way is to visit your local independent bookshop and say, excuse me, do you stock Steam Highwayman? And the chap behind the till, or the lady, let me just check which is their phrase for, no, we don't, but we can get it for you. And they'll type in Steam Highwayman, which they'll have never heard of before, and they'll go, oh, um, no, but we can get it for you. And they'll get it for you in two to three weeks. And if you've waited this long in your life before getting it, an additional two to three weeks compared to what <laughs> Amazon will offer you is nothing, and you'll put money in, in, their, in their independence pockets. So please do it that way. I try and say that as much as I can now. Thankfully, my distribution allows it to go into all bookshops mm -hmm. and they will order it for you and you will get the same price, although maybe not prime delivery. So go to your independent bookshop uh, and say, do you have the Steam Highwayman? I mean, egg it up. Are you the Steam Highwayman? And the clever ones will already be tapping it up in search engine in front. You can find out more, I mean, on my website, martinbarnabasnouch.com, which is not so easy to spell, but you can just Google search for the magic phrase, Steam Highwayman. And that will take you to my website as well. Excellent. So you heard it here, folks. You have the choice between using your game book funds to send a billionaire to space or to support your independent booksellers. The choice is yours, just like in Steam Highway. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> this is really good rounding off. Yeah, very nice, Brian. Excellent. Well, Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. It's been a real pleasure, Brian, and I've only had a good time ranting at length. So if there's ever any opportunity to rant at further length or explore things aloud with you, I'm more than happy to. Looking forward to those playthroughs very much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash instadeath. A special thanks to our guests and to the contributors who helped make the show better than I ever could on my own. Intro music graciously provided by Jesse Johnson, a.k.a. Zenoda. Find more great music by searching Jesse Johnson or Zenoda, spelled with an X, on YouTube and most major streaming platforms. Podcast cover art generously contributed by Patrick O'Neill. 
You can learn more about Pat's art on his Facebook page, Pat O'Neill Art.